Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Welcome to episode 72 of My on Mondays. This week, we're really pleased to be sharing a striking series of poems written and read by Hannah Rodebaugh from a collection of eco-poetry called Lost Cathedral, named after Cathedral Grove in Mirwoods National Monument. The project focuses on the history of ecological disasters and our role in shaping our ecological present. It discusses extinction, habitat loss, exploration, colonization, and exploitation in the face of the Anthropocene era. Hannah holds an MA from Miami University and an MFA from Naropa University. She's the author of three chapbooks, including We Don't Bury Our Dead When Our Dead Are Animals, a collection of ecological elegies. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in the Indianapolis Review, Camus Magazine, Glassworks Magazine, Blue Line Magazine, Berkeley Poetry Review, Horse Less Review, and many others. She's received grants from the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the Alexa Rose Foundation, and has been an artist-in-residence for the Bureau of Land Management, the National Park Service, and Searles Place. She teaches English at Boise State University and creative writing at the cabin in Boise, Idaho. Lost Object When you lose something here, you lose it forever. You drop it and the trees trap it or the wind pulls it away from you. Another valley over, your lost object twists between trees, its twine breaking, amber light flowing over the trunks like something oily. When you lose something, you believe it can be followed or found, that some things can be clung to or claimed when you hold your hands out, but instead they disappear. Whole worlds are lost. The forest is thick with snow green vegetation, wet air in a state of undress, mist in a heavy beard of white. The wood feels full of indecipherable meanings, how things stay hidden, twisting out of view when you strain your eyes to look. Dogwood and pine, piles of slanted logs, flecked with the bilious capillaries of lichen, hiding what might be yours or also someone else's until you can't stop looking. Bell-shaped manzanita blossoms under heavy crowns of murky green arrive slowly in front of you. The forest is all sharp angles, geometric sunlight. The bristling trunks close in a kind of vertigo. They've stolen you, and you're guessing at where you've been or where you're going. Historical Graffiti, a poem in four parts. One, 
Carbide lanterns and pine-pitched torches stained the walls a smoky gray. Smeared arrows of ash show the way through the chamber's twisted interior. The world moves slowly here. Above you, heavy stalactites carved by eons of seeping rainwater, jagged teeth thick as a forearm. By lantern, women crawled on hands and knees in heavy skirts, men in canvas pants and logging boots, to stand here in these gleaming caves of flowstone, stalactites hanging like the pipes of a spectral organ. They wrote in loops of lead, scrawling names, dates, sometimes messages that blot the walls along a fixture called Niagara, cataract of creamy stone rushing like a waterfall. Each twist or turn has names hidden in it like a tiny memory. The names crowd around you, brothers, students, friends who first found the mountain's empty heart. There are no memories here that matter. Dissolved calcite keeps rebuilding, trapping them under translucent layers of stone. They'll soon be covered, here and not, the past and also erased, part of the deep's nameless history. They'll live forever where no one can read them. The stones have no memory. The earth always replaces. The world keeps you like walking across waves of sand. Even the wind will remove your steps. 2. You brought the day in with you and put it here, there, everywhere, lights threading the ground, illuminating cascades of stone, misshapen features smeared across the walls like ghosts. You brought in ideas of what mattered, of what you should value. You took souvenirs, scraping stalactites hanging from the ceiling like chandeliers, calcite drapery that formed over thousands of years, left lead signatures that will never wash away. Do not destroy, you carved into slabs of flowstone above mouths of missing teeth. Some marring will be permanent, others time will heal. Still you keep on leaving your impressions, you want to remember the world with you in it. Outside a cave mouth, matted with moss, you carve your initials into the naked green bark of a madrone, like your William Clark carving his name in an alder tree on the mouth of the Columbia River. Three. You want to remember the world with you in it. How it's easy to forget that you're here if no one's speaking your name. In a cemetery, you saw how rain erodes each name from stone until nothing remains, how even language dies. You want to remember the world with you in it. You find a pencil and scrawl your name onto rocks beside you. You're underground. The walls are heather gray under yellow beams of candlelight. The world looks melted. Pale fingers fringe the ceiling like oily feathers. You're finally going to get what you want. When the world moves forward, it will move forward with you. You've made your mark. Four. Sometimes you destroy what you love. You sign your name on the world around you. You mark it until every flower, its every petal is stained with your name. The icy pink orchid is patterned with your voice like grainy lines of morse. 
The birds wear your colors. You're the first dawn, trembling with red-gold light. The first words spoken inside the first voice. The stars' slow movement eclipsed by your skin. The moon's slick pattern of slanted light smearing the earth beneath you. You're everywhere and the world is too small for you. You're everywhere and you're grasping onto the one thing you can crawl inside of. You write it down. You write it down. Everywhere, the earth fills up with naming like the cold scent from underneath the cedar limbs. You know each separate color, each tiny part, now that you've classified it, given it a tiny heart to beat. Still, the earth keeps leaving you behind. It keeps replacing you. You're buried or eroded by time's slow sickle. The pattern of cruelty is to give you a creation that also removes you. How memory always repairs. Your effort to make a deep impression goes unrewarded. The future won't look at you with the same eyes or won't look at you at all. The Green Man I know a man who fell asleep in the forest, and the forest took him over. In his sleep it absorbed him. When he woke, he was a madrone tree, his bark peeling like the hair of an orange. His clothes had turned to moss, eyebrows tinged a yellow-green. His arms were full of nests, wrens and chickadees swarming him like gnats. He opened his mouth, and his teeth were gray-white stalactites glowing like a cloud with the moon behind it. He tried to speak, and bats flew out. One stuck to his uvula, making him clear and clear his throat. Now he stands somewhere in the forest, his long beard trailing, his body swaying in the sighing wind. He's forgotten everything. If you find him, see if you can call him back. You'll try, but he'll just keep swallowing the light, his body a bright green star. This poem, Last Prayer of the Loggers, is an ekphrastic poem written on a photograph of loggers in a redwood forest from the Erickson Collection found in the Humboldt State University Library. Last Prayer of the Loggers. Each day you do not pray for life, you pray for life's removal. You pray for the removal of others. You pray for forests to end, but also for them to be endless a form of always waving goodbye. You pray to fell monsters, that you might not be consumed, that you might stand over their ancient backs, grime on your face, bones almost incandescent, bright as a blue well birthed by the sea, then heavy on the back of your cart, the smell of oil and cedar in the air, a dizzying fragrance. You pray for someone to keep interceding, that you can keep emptying the world out. You pray to see sunrises unclouded by branches, fresh green earth held up by a heart of blue, the fresh green earth, the dawn, a welcome arm above it. You pray to see horizons obscured and unobscured, a collapsing viewpoint, 
broken hearts of tree stumps twisting the earth beneath you, the sky chewing out a chasm to hold your deep feeling like a feather trapped in sedge. You pray to hear your voice where the morse of boreal owls once wandered, for one voice to be subsumed by the working sounds of another, that the forests where you work keep carrying your name. This is a prayer for the sky, for an unobstructed view. The sky rooting you, a kind of looking up, of always looking away. This is a prayer for seeing the moon between the mountains, empty throat, sky gargling out a stranded web of silver. This is a prayer that the earth not become empty by becoming empty, even if only your name still echoes. Old Growth in Decline All great trees with names so big and mighty are gone from here. Here we name individuals because individuals are what's left. They are the bright branched remnants of centuries of logging, where men walked saws almost to the sea, sharp heart of green. Just because your life matters here doesn't mean it matters anywhere. These remnants wear our ancient crowns, and these we give grand names, like Genesis and General, Titan or Lost Monarch, as if they carry the past with them, lost but not forgotten. Walking under them, we call them some earthly cathedral, how each tall top brushes wind into the sky, each body like the buttressed rib of a great whale, how they punctuate the earth like a thunderbolt. It is a branch deeply rooted in us that the lesser be impressed by what is less, that what we see is what we can only see, that we can stand before an emptied forest with its feet of clay and stone where once a golden statue stood, a colossus with its bronzy head, and still will sing its praises. This we will, Osmandius, how easy it is to praise something once it is already gone. Lost Sound, Northern Spotted Owl Sit in an empty field and ask yourself what is missing. What bird, flower, bee, tree is gone now that should be here? Wait to hear the answer from the wind that tells you how to look. It's empty howling. Let it fill you with a wet, hollow feeling until you too are green and growing. Then ask yourself, what lived here once that also felt this wind come alive inside of them? What rare plant felt its frosted buds grow cold from a spring storm of hail against the mountain tinged with green? What soft sounds of night once called out under the high-mooned sky from deep within the rushing of these endless waves of fur? The Animal Outside Us 
Classification is not a form of knowing. Naming is not a body knowledge, still a thing we cannot know. The mystery of others, that they are always other, the animal outside us even though we are an animal. We think we have the only beat on feeling, on an internal monologue, that we are the only I here, the only realized self, and we use it to create an atrophy, a legal fiscal state where we are the only legal entity, the only thing entitled to respect, until respect is crooked land use, respect is logging trees, walking our saws along the spine of the earth to walk our saws into the sea. Respect is using this world where this world needs us least, the bare earth creased with mines, silver specks of cars. Leave Things Alone. This poem has an epigraph by Henry David Thoreau. It reads, A man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. Leave things alone. The best way to love a wild animal is to leave it alone, to move away from its nest, harsh calls of alarm in the sky above you. The best way to love a wild animal is to care from a far distance, the light swirling around you as you observe a falcon from far away. The world doesn't belong to you. The space around an animal is its own. The best animal encounter is the one that didn't happen because you kept such a far distance that it didn't know that you were there. If you love something, you let it be itself. You let the world shape it without you. You leave it alone. Fragment on a mule deer. Each deer is a koan, a half-hidden, untruth truth, a gentle, empty expression of wisdom on their faces. The silence just before a thought or just after. Each deer is an enigma, their blank faces housing a delicate ambiguity of helplessness. This delicacy we use. We use the weak for everything but their wisdom. We find the smallest place that we can fit them and then fit them in. We find them irreparably dull. We've made them into ourselves. Triptych on a Passenger Pigeon found in 1886 Chicago. A poem in three parts. One. Who can be blamed for the extinction of the passenger pigeon. I would be no different if I lived back then, a product of my generation. Nature, perpetual, inexhaustible, a thing unable to be extinguished. I would believe the same stupid logic, would think shooting 20,000 birds was good sport, would have had no problem when they were left to rot in the dirt. I would have extinguished you too. It's why I grieve now. I can conceive of a past where I fail you.
where I keep failing you. Two. Only in death did you lay still, always perpetually restless. Now your carcass gathers dust in a drawer among specimens in locked white cabinets, hoping to change the past by collecting a piece of it, as if tamping down dust over time negates its passage, or you only existed for a moment and it can be quantified in some way, can be mastered. But your beak is tatted and ripped, your feathers weighted with lime. Even time keeps burying you. Only we hold on to what we could not save. Three. I can only see you dead in the past. I try to imagine you in the Chicago market you were found in, but all I see is your body ovate in the dim lump shape of the dead, your gorget's iridescent sheen glittering strangely almost a star, crusted with coral and bright magenta, unfaded above jagged feet curled up inward like a bird at the bottom of a cage. The cat did it, but don't we always do that? Blame others when we left it with the cat. I mourn you as if I would have done something different. That future guilt is enough to save the past, but it's not. I would have shot you too had you stuffed, felt listlessly indifferent about your absence from the landscape, lived as if you never mattered because you didn't. The lives of others never matter so much as we think. We don't matter either. A market economy. We glutted the market with their bodies till they were so cheap that only the poor would eat them. Till there were millions no one would buy. A sea of unwanted pigeons rotting in train cars became a sea of unwanted pigeons in a New York or Chicago market became a sea of uneaten pigeons dumped out on the grass from a Chicago or New York market as landscape returned to us. But you can't put things back when they are broken. Even a child knows this. You can't go back and return them. Last flight of the wild blue pigeon, or to Martha, the last passenger pigeon. After your death, your body was shipped by train to the Smithsonian in a 300-pound block of ice, lying in state like Lincoln, countryside flying by, becoming a brace of green. Here you lived once, died once. The same trains shipped you to markets, shipped you to your death, carrying the last of you onward. Or maybe it's fitting to also go the same way the others did. Only your body was alone. Elegy for Ectopistes Migratorius A poem in two parts. One. Ectopistes Migratorius means wanderer, wanderer. 
You wandered so far away from the earth that you disappeared. You took passage in the canopy, were swallowed in hectic lightning, the victim of unlucky passage, a passenger, the wanderer, wanderer, that which lives without a home. Two, you were moving in 1869, flying over the Midwestern stratosphere, all top hats and women's millinery with egret feathers. Below you, people sweated and succeeded. Below you, the railroad buzzed with a new invention, splitting the country across like a burst seam, steam spiraling up over the snake glittering strangely, a wanderer, wanderer too, made to be like you were. There is only one of you remaining. We don't respect what we don't make with our hands. We are selfish that way. Now the snake moves sleepily where you used to move, where you were streaking as a feathered river across the sky, a kind of railroad for passenger pigeons, for the wanderer, wanderer. Last sighting of the dodo on Mauritius Island. By the last sighting of the dodo, sailors thought it was a mythical creature. They forgot it had been real once. They lost their memories of its wingless body nested on the beach until they doomed it into nothingness. It became a gesture they made to each other in passing, a kind of dream they did not remember upon waking so that after a hundred dwindling years, when they saw the last one walking towards them, it troubled them, made them worry that the earth was spouting out its monsters, a new inhuman shape, worried what might next come out of the earth, how our bright fears come alive only when we least expect them, until even seeing it again became something uncalled for, uncanny in its jeopardizing quality. Other species soon followed it into nothingness, past all their haunted gestures. A giant tortoise, owl, flying fox, and parakeet. But by then, the sailors did not notice them or their absence. How things that are unreal are often unremarkable, if we tell ourselves enough. Natural History Museum. A poem in three parts. Great Auk. Now we have whole prisons dedicated to the lost. We call these habitat dioramas, these memories of what is past. Only we put the others on display. Our own we bury, we give away to the earth. We don't make example and call it ecosystem. Surrounded by concrete, painted walls, verdant shades of ugliness are malformed specimens. A great auk over plastic eggs, its glass eyes leaden and dull less dead and still more dead than everything around it. Eskimo Curlew Now we have whole prisons dedicated to the lost. We call these habitat dioramas. We call them death in life as art. We don't care enough to name them. It's enough to have them standing in at all. Eskimo curlew, possibly extinct, last authentic record. It does not matter that we killed them because we did not name them, did not make them personal to us. 
We saw the aggregate, the amalgam stand in, the whole collapsed race. It does not matter that even deer have distinct personalities to the researchers who study them. How our lives are not interchangeable, so why should theirs be? That this is how an animal goes extinct, this othering. This inability to see each loss on a personal level, because each loss is not personal to you. Spectacled Cormorant Now we have whole prisons dedicated to the lost. We call these habitat dioramas. Each painted scene is cast in bas-relief against an artificial stillness. Stuffed birds in comical poses, a spectacled cormorant's neck bent like a scythe, an erudite gesture of dinosauria before badly painted water and lush forest. The dead awash in exposure as photogenic negative, unwilling as in flux, the reverse of film's intention. These lookalikes cannot stand in for the living, no matter how much we try to make them, not even as apologia or placard for our guilt. The scenery cannot take us from this statuary to something moving, cannot breathe the salt air over us, the sea wailing beyond us. It will not get us to remember something lost. When an animal is lost, it's lost forever. The museum becomes an unlikely cemetery for all our buried hopes, all the worlds we couldn't save, the words we could have said to them, unspoken in our throat. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.